Hello once again, this is Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I've got a book uh, that I haven't covered before, and I wanted to share it with you. I especially enjoy sharing books by people that I know and appreciate. And this is the case today. Dr. Phil Fernandez is the uh, writer, along with Kyle Larson. And uh, the book is called Hijacking the Historical Jesus, subtitled Answering Recent Attacks on the Jesus of the Bible. And we've seen more and more of that, haven't we, lately? Uh, it used to be just leaving Jesus alone and going after uh, things of, of the Bible that uh, somebody doesn't like. But I, I love the back uh, page of this book. The back cover says, Did Jesus really claim to be God? Is he just another version of a pagan myth? Does the Bible record the true Jesus of history? Even if it does, how can the Bible be trusted? And so you've got some wonderful statements by people who have read it and appreciate it. Uh, I'll start with Gary Habermas. Uh, I uh, really appreciate all that he's done. And he said, uh, I've known both Phil Fernandez and Kyle Larson for a couple of decades. Both have researched the relevant questions, and their treatment here covers a wide variety of topics, criticisms, and responses. And uh, Dr. Rick Walston, who's president of Columbia Evangelical Seminary, says the authors have done their homework. This book should be required reading of all of those who study Christology in academic settings and by all Christians who simply love Jesus and want to know the truth about who he is. So uh, some high praise there, and it's deserved. This is a healthy-sized book. It's got all sorts of material, uh, reliability of the New Testament, now, refuting Bart Ehrman, who's a pretty famous skeptic who's made a lot of money, uh, the true Jesus of the Bible, uh, some of the biases that they note of modern Jesus research, the Da Vinci Code. Remember when that was out? That was huge. It sold so well. And of course, it called into question much of the New Testament, especially the life of Jesus. Actually, what I want to do today, I do like this book a lot. I'm actually going to turn to an appendix in the back. And it covers something that I find fascinating. I wouldn't uh, bet the farm on it, but it's uh, the Shroud of Turin. Is it really the burial cloth of Jesus? And uh, they note that this question often divides Christians. But, you know, I found that a lot of people have no idea what we're talking about when somebody mentions the Shroud of Turin. So I, I like the way they start their section here. They said, it should be noted that the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection is strong enough without the Shroud. And I think that's true. I think it's, it's exactly right. We don't need the Shroud of Turin to argue persuasively for the resurrection of Jesus. But again, I'm a history nut, and I just find this really interesting. And you could Google it. Just type in Shroud of Turin and take a look, and you'll see a picture of it. It's an ancient linen cloth. Okay, and some people believe it's a burial cloth of Jesus, and we'll get to why in just a second. So physically, what does it look like? Well, it's about 14 feet long and about three and a half feet wide. And what you see is a double image of a person. So think of it this way. Uh, the cloth gets, let's say, laid down on the ground, and a body is put upon it near the bottom half, and then the top half is folded over the top of the dead person. So you'll have, in this case, you have an image of the front of a person and in the same person, you get an image on the back, and then you unfold it, and you got this uh, kind of a mirror image, you might say. And it says, uh, what you see there, it seems to be a crucifixion victim. 
And the person is about 5 foot 10 to 6 feet tall, weighed about 175 pounds, has Semitic features, and the body seems to be in a state of rigor mortis. So what's going on in this cloth? Well, it says you can see signs of suffering. The blood on the shroud, and there's definite blood on the shroud. It shows puncture wounds on the wrists and the feet. The side of the corpse has been pierced and has blood and water stains and the chest area. There are puncture wounds on the scalp. There are over 120 scourge wounds, and they're kind of shaped like a dumbbell, and that apparently was what the ancient Roman flagrum would do to you. And you see some shoulder abrasions, as if uh, somebody was carrying something very heavy. There are knee contusions, indicating there are several significant falls, but there are no, uh, no broken bones. For example, no broken ankles, something that they did often with crucifixion victims. And you notice that's what they did with the two that were crucified with Jesus. But not with Jesus, not didn't happen to Jesus himself. And it says even the beard of the victim seems to have been violently torn. And so you, you add all that up, and it seems to be pretty close to what Jesus went through. Well, let's get into a few more details here. It says the blood stains are intact. Why is that important? Well, they would have been disrupted if the body had been removed from the shroud before decay set in. So it's as if the corpse somehow disappeared from the cloth, but leaving the blood stain, the blood clots undisturbed. The image on the shroud, if you take a look at it, the, the naked eye view, if you take a look at it online, it looks pretty fuzzy. It's kind of hard to figure it out. But an Italian photographer back in 1898, was the first one to photograph the shroud. And he took a look at his negative, his photographic negative, and his jaw dropped, I'm sure, because the picture showed a real person. What you're looking at with the, the eye, the uh, image that's on the cloth, is a photographic negative. Isn't that crazy? But the idea of negativity wasn't known until the 19th century. So if it's a medieval forger... Why would you forge something and say, you know, in 500 years, they'll invent photography and they'll do a, a, a photograph of this thing and they'll see the negative? That makes no sense. Here's something else of interest. The image that's on the shroud, it's superficial. It's just on the very surface, but the blood stains soak through it. You can see it on both sides of the shroud. So if the image of the corpse had been painted, it'd be like the blood stains. The paint would have soaked through. So the image is not a painting. Something else of interest, that image on that body in the cloth is three-dimensional. So it was caused by some object lying underneath it, not being painted on. There's no sign of paint or dye or powder that caused the image. So whatever's on there, it was not paint. So the problem is, of course, is how old is this shroud? Well, the recent history that you can trace gets it back to France and Italy, yet there's a criminologist who examined it and he identified pollens from Turkey and Israel. So it had spent some time apparently in those countries. There's a textile expert who also took a look at it and he says the weave and the type of cloth is consistent with first century Palestine. Well, something else that they found that appears to be coins over the eyes that came from Pilate's time period. Well, so what is the history of the shroud? Well, as far as real history, it goes back to 1354, 
It was owned by a man in France. And then you can kind of trace it more modern times. And it was owned by uh, people in Italy, and then it got willed to the Pope. And from then on, the Roman Catholic Church is the official owner. Well, in 1988, the Vatican said, it's okay, uh, there's a group of uh, scientists that want to study the shroud, and they allowed a piece to be cut out of it. And then that piece was divided into smaller pieces and sent to different labs around the world. Well, here's what was shocking. It was carbon-14 dated to about 1300 to 1350. Well, so a lot of people said, okay, so I guess that's it. The shroud is some kind of forgery. But now there's questions. There are questions that have come about because of that dating. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, there is a possible ancient history of the shroud before the 1300s. Now, they have to say possible because they don't have absolute proof. But they're, they're looking for some kind of mention of it going way back to the death of Christ. And one man named Ian Wilson says he's found a paper trail. Uh, it begins in a place called Edessa, E-D-E-S-S-A, and there's a story that the king of Edessa was very, very ill. This is early church tradition. And that he heard that Jesus of Nazareth had powers to heal, so he sent for Jesus, but Jesus couldn't travel there. He was doing other things. And after his death, now remember, this is just coming from church tradition, that the apostle Thaddeus visited the king, and he brought with him a cloth bearing an image of Jesus' faith. I'm sorry, Jesus' face. And the research that this Wilson did had him conclude that that cloth of Edessa was actually the Shroud of Turin, but it was folded up in such a way that the only thing you could see was the face. All right, then there's a hymn, an actual early Christian song dating to the 500s AD that refer to this cloth by, and I guess this is an actual quote from that hymn, the image not made with human hands. So they, they keep talking about the, the image of the face, not the body. But the shroud was folded, possibly, that would have done that. And then in the 600s, the Byzantine Emperor Justinian had gold coins made that bore Christ's image, and that image looks very close to the face and the Shroud of Turin. Then there was a pope in the late 700s AD. He wrote a sermon about the Shroud. He talked about Christ's body being stretched on a white cloth, quote, leaving the glorious image of the Lord's face and the length of his whole body. Well, that sounds like the Shroud. And then it brings it up to even more modern times. I think I'll skip a lot of that. But even into the seven, the eight hundreds, how about 900 AD, the cloth is referred to as, quote, a blood-stained image of the Lord, not made by hands. And so all of these seem to indicate there is a history to it. So I will go beyond that. What about this carbon-14 carbon 14 dating that seems to have cast a lot of doubt on the shroud? Well, a shroud skeptic, at one time a skeptic, scientist Ray Rogers, he got to work on it. First, he believed the carbon-14 dating and thought it was uh, this image was a fake. But he and another man looked into it, and what they discovered was that a portion of the shroud that was tested was actually a medieval repair to the shroud. So wouldn't you know it, they, they clipped off and took a piece that was actually a, a more 
uh, modern part of it. It said the portion of the shroud that got 14, uh, carbon-14 tested didn't represent the rest of the shroud. It was a medieval repair job. Oh, so Rogers finally says that carbon-14 dating was invalid. So he was a skeptic at first, but he's changed his mind. And uh, then another woman, a leading textile expert, said that weave was consistent with a type in the Jerusalem area during the time of Christ. And they, the presence of cotton threads from medieval times distorted that carbon-14 dating. All right, so uh, let me see if there's anything else that you might think of as interesting from this. Um, how about this? The shroud presents an accurate depiction of a crucifixion victim. Okay, we already talked about that. But a little bit more detail. Where were the nail wounds? Not in the palm. You know, you look at Catholic churches today, for example, or you see images of Jesus and often has holes in the palm of the hand, but that would not hold. He put a person on the cross, and this is pretty gross to talk about, but your hand would tear free. So the nails they have discovered would have been hammered through the wrist where you've got bones around it that would hold you on the cross. Um, even things like the image shows the two thumbs drawn in toward the palm. And they said the, the reason that happens when you're on the cross is because of nerves and muscle uh, connectors that will do that. So how would somebody who's doing this as a forger, how would they know those kinds of things? Um, it says here, even with modern 21st century scientific advances, it's, you can't reproduce the image with all of its details. And then I mentioned the pollen that's on there that seems to have come from Turkey and Israel. There's three-dimensional qualities to it. The coins placed on it. It says it can't be a painting. The image is superficial. It didn't bleed through like the blood stains. Um, some people say there are x-ray effects found in the shroud. Uh, in fact, one person says he can identify the bone structure of the knuckles, some of the backbone, and some of the teeth as found, which is interesting. Uh, so, conclusion. Now, I like their conclusion here. I think Fernandez is being very fair. He says, the interesting point is not that modern science has failed to prove it's authentic. The interesting point is that modern science has failed to disprove the authenticity of the shroud. So, it says it's pretty unlikely that some medieval artist could outsmart modern scientists. But again, I really like the idea that we don't need the Shroud of Turin to understand and to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But for one thing, it shows what it would be like to be crucified, just the horror of that. And it does seem to indicate a parallel with what the Bible says, and you can't explain it. So it says the the conclusion that Fernandez comes up with, the evidence does seem to favor the authenticity and antiquity of the Shroud of Turin. But that's something you can decide on your own. Take a look at the evidence. Uh, go online sometime. Just look up information on the Shroud of Turin. I highly recommend this book as well as anything else that Phil Fernandez has written. He does an excellent job. A really nice person. Uh, got a great sense of humor. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, let's do another podcast soon.